Welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. My name is Julian Guderlei, and I'm here on the show today with a, a trombone player from the S San Francisco Symphony. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Nick Platov is also a global shaper, and, and that's how we first met. Um, you're fully expressing and li living your life, which is obviously with an instrument. How did you find your pathway to the arts? Was it early on in, in your life? Or? Yeah, it was. I grew uh, up in a pretty musical family, and I think um, something that I feel really lucky um, to have had was just music and, and love in my childhood. My dad is sort of, was the first musician who I got to know very well. And my dad is somebody who cries when he hears beautiful passages in Mozart. And for him, the act of sharing music and uh, like, you know, showing you, showing somebody an album they've never heard or taking somebody to a, to a concert or explaining why uh, the bridge section and the guitar solo in some Beatles song are extra meaningful. For, for my dad, that's one of the primary ways that he expresses love. I was brought up in, in a house where music and love were kind of the same thing, just like food and love for a lot of people can be the same thing. I think that that's something that I try to live up to today. So I've, I've been a professional musician for a few years, but only really in the last year or six months or so have I kind of dialed in on this very specific purpose of music being kind of a gift to the world, like music being a way of spreading uh, love and care to everyone. And my, my sort of updated mission statement is just to harness the power of music um, to spread joy and healing through the world. So just, I think that if I'm doing this right, and if I, if I pour the right intentions into my performances, then I'm, I'm just hoping that they can help people and make them happy. Beautiful. I, I love that anecdote about love and music being synonymous in like the household you grew up in. Um, that's very powerful and quite unique maybe also. I More think. music and music healing people is something I, I, I discuss on the show regularly. It feels very true to me. Can you just elaborate a little bit further on that? Like, what does music really move us into being? Like what's occurring in an audience when um, a whole orchestra is playing? I am certain that everybody is having their own unique experience when they're in the concert hall. Um, people always, I'm, I'm very interested in this question myself and I, I ask people what they thought and what they took away from it. And everyone always has a different experience. But for me, when I listen to music, um, something about the, the harmony, something about the rhythm has very, tangible feelings for me in my body and there are certain uh you know certain chords um you know i guess sort of the the simple thing is for those of you out there who are familiar with music theory like a major triad sort of sounds at least in western classical music um in that context it sounds happy and a minor triad sounds sad but of course if you're going to add other chord tones and if you're going to depending on you know, what's happening in the baseline, what's happening in the melody and what's happening before that happens and where that chord moves next. There's the entire range of the human emotional spectrum can be captured in harmony. And depending on 
whether there's a sharp four in the chord or whether there's a four three suspension. Um, these are you know music theory terms. These have very uh, tangible feelings for me, like in my body, in my stomach. Mm -hmm. um, and when I listen to um, a great performance of music by um, a great master, like somebody like Gustav Mahler, amazing uh, Austrian composer, he has a way of just his his music makes me really emotional. It makes a lot of people very emotional. Wow. When I when you get to the end of his second symphony or his third symphony or the fourth or the fifth, like really all of his all of his output, I feel like I just attended a religious ceremony or just something incredibly powerful has happened. I think that um, music and and art just the reason that they're so awesome. Um, is they have this ability to just manage the lever that's connected right to your heart. There are many, many performances I've attended that have just completely changed the course of my life, that made me feel things that I hadn't felt um, in other ways. And then there are other, other performances you hear, um, or recordings, or music that you make yourself that will um, make certain... Uh, things that have happened in your, it will give context to things that have happened in your life. Like I remember, um, you know, when you're, <laughs> when you're going through a, a breakup, for example, I remember a breakup a few years ago where I kind of dove into an album by the Beach Boys that, and like, like forever, those sounds yeah. and those emotions the will Beach be Boys. connected for me. Certainly had a couple of Beach Boys phases in my life. Oh um, yeah. Incredible band. In incredible music that, that kind of, happened in, in pop and rock um, and, and later on also hip hop and, and so forth that kind of is like cultural revolutionary expression coming through the ages right and like the zeitgeist mm -hmm. of the 50s 60s 70s is certainly still something I, I guess we all have gone through or are going through at times I personally absolutely resonate and agree like I feel music is like a connector in our being but I love this kind of um, ability to add something to your life, no matter if you call yourself an artist, no matter if you uh, are a professional musician, um, but I love the ability to add something to your life that allows you to, to experience those states of consciousness or these states of ecstasy or these states of connection that, um, let's say, help you integrate uh, an emotional difficulty or a breakup or even just a dissonance, um, like a conflict. I think sometimes music helps us to reattune or realign or atone to ourselves. So Nick, walk us through your process. Like what's a, what's a, what's a daily routine in your life? Yeah. Uh, breathing is, you know, obviously essential for all humans, but um, I do feel that I breathe professionally. Um, and it's the most important part of, it's the most important technical part of being a, a brass player. Um, just like any string player uses the bow, I think our breath work is of uh, equivalent importance to that. Um, I guess, you know, my my day-to-day -day varies a lot. Um, like for example, this week, um, I'm actually not playing with the orchestra um, because I'm, I'm rotated off. There's only one piece uh, on our concerts this week, which um, features trombones and my other three colleagues in the trombone section are playing this week. We rotate all the time, but this week I'm I'm mostly working on uh, writing an arrangement of Silent Night, which I'll 
uh, record over the next few weeks. Um, so yeah, most, most of my day uh, today and the other days this week is spent at my computer and at my uh, MIDI keyboard uh, writing this arrangement. Um, but on days when I perform with the orchestra, um, it's a little bit different. Uh, a lot of a lot of my preparation time um, for a day at work is spent listening to the repertoire that we're going to be working on, whether it's Mahler or Beethoven or you know any any other composer. Um, I'll listen to the piece that we're going to play with with my trombone part. I'll listen with uh, the full orchestral score to understand my context, uh, understand the context of of my trombone part in the whole orchestral texture. Mm -hmm. I'll do some breathing exercises just to make sure that like the bare minimum survival breath is uh, maybe it takes a lot of time and effort to uh, draw in a small volume of air, but I'm going to play my best um, if I can take a huge volume of air into my lungs with minimal effort and minimum time so I can just pump out lots of sound. Um, and then, of course, depending on whether I want to play loud, rich, lower tone, I'll take maybe a slower, um, warmer breath. But if I'm coming in on a high solo, like in something like Bolero by Ravel, I'll take a smaller breath, like something more like, as opposed to that lower sound, my breath might be more like. Mm -hmm. Personally, super curious about breath work. Um, as I first got introduced to breath work about a decade ago through yoga, and mm. like uh, energy practice and then uh, through my journey i realized and kind of became aware that they're obviously athletes and um, and sport have kind of a connection to their breath but then creatives and musicians or or also artists or painters at time that, that get into this flow state with their breath where they're like in, in a meditation and very few people i guess have a very conscious daily practice or even a conscious awareness of the sound of their breath so when you're explaining those differences i think we we can all learn so so keep going where what, what practice that like no matter how the weeks look it shows up a couple times there pretty much every single day uh for me starts the same way um i mostly every morning wake up with some kind of music in my head uh and i turn that on immediately over the speakers and there are uh some mornings where I feel like the I don't even need coffee because whatever I was listening to kind of woke me up. Wow. Um, so I would say that, uh, and this is this is actually something maybe surprising to non-musicians out there. Um, people in in music, people professional musicians I know have very different practices as far as uh, how much music they listen to. I have a lot of friends who, you know, are amazing performers, but when they get home from work, they really just want silence. Um, they don't really have more of an appetite for listening to more music and it's totally fine. Um, that's not really how I've ever operated. Um, I'm kind of devouring music all the time. It doesn't really stop for me. Um, Sounds like life is like a big continuation of music from yeah. how you've been brought up through like music and love uh being synonymous and then like I, I can see uh for those of you listening to the audio episode of this uh, i can see the speakers behind you like 
the whole like the the keyboard everything's set up for either creating or listening to music mm -hmm. that's that's very cool i um i do feel like life or soul has like a rhythm to it right and i do feel like um for those of us who have experienced that this like this as you say, like you wake up with a song or if you wake up with lyrics in your head, this is another reason why I was really looking forward to this conversation with you is kind of exploring how a musician's perspective really influences possibly a non-musician's life. How would you say, like, can people unleash more music or love through music into their life? One of the, the things that stops the flow of music is judgment. Um, and I can speak to this a little bit because my journey as a composer is pretty recent. Um, and the reason for that is uh, like really only in the last year have I started to write music very seriously. Um, and the reason for that is uh, because as a performer, I play uh, the music of others and the music that I play by others is the best. Like I think some of the, the most outstanding achievements of human history. I think that Gustav Mahler or, or Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart or Ludwig van Beethoven are some of the, the most incredible humans who have ever lived and their output um, artistically, I think is for, you know, for my taste as important as any of the most important authors or painters or generals or spiritual leaders. It, like it has that impact in my life and it's very intimidating to think like, okay, well, yeah, you know, I love watching LeBron James play basketball. I think I want to be a basketball player. Like, I think it, it would be really scary for me to embark on a career as a professional basketball player because I would constantly be comparing myself. Well, I mean, I'm pretty bad at basketball, so I don't really think I would be comparing myself to LeBron. LeBron yeah. But when I do sit Same. and write music, you know, after I write some music, then I'm going to go over to work and play something by Beethoven, one of the greatest composers ever. And that fear of that comparison uh, really stifled my creativity for a long time. And only in the last year or so have I felt, you know what, when Beethoven started, he wasn't as great a composer as he was when he had been doing it, um, as when he had, you know, been writing music for most of his life. And you have to start somewhere. I've grown a lot since I started. And I think that just the, the fear of starting stopped uh, me from, you know, doing anything for a long time. And so what I would say to anybody who wants to paint or wants to play basketball or wants to say, wants to play the guitar, <laughs> I think sort of like the cynical view of it is no one around you really cares that much about what you're doing. Um, but especially if you want to do it, you should just start. Um, just start. And not just start and don't really feel too, if you listen too nervous to this about. If you think it's you, it's definitely you. So just, it's just definitely start. you. Just start. It's definitely you. Um, I've also been really inspired by um, one of my favorite uh, musicians ever. This is a guy. Uh, from London. I think he's 23 years old. Um, his name is Jacob Collier. And I think that he is one of the most important musicians alive today. Um, this guy is, uh, if you could imagine the the musical child that was born of Stevie Wonder and Mozart, um, 
Oh, wow. That's a unique I uh, think, angle. Stevie Wonder and Mozart had a musical child. Yeah, and okay. his name is Jacob Collier. Jacob Collier, yeah, okay. This guy is just a fountain of creativity and virtuosity, and I feel really fortunate to, um, to know him personally. I got to perform with him in Miami uh, in February of last year. And he, even though he is very young, he is just incredibly wise. And he speaks often in master classes that he gives that you just have to start. Yeah, that is my advice to people who who feel any anxiety about their guitar playing or their or their singing. You know, I I perform for thousands of people every week, but you know I didn't feel as comfortable as I do now when I was you know, 10 years old starting trombone. I was definitely extremely nervous before those first performances. And, you know, even even though I do this all the time, I still get really nervous for uh, many performances. Like a couple days ago, uh, this this Monday, we uh, I, I wrote a, a trio for brass um, that I performed for, uh, a lunch that was uh, just sort of thanking the volunteers for the symphony. We have over a thousand volunteers who help um, by being ushers at concerts and they raise money for our education department, just really wonderful, generous people. So I was performing at a lunch for them and I was incredibly nervous to play this uh, new composition of mine for these people. Um, and thankfully it went pretty well, but um, for those of you out there who are nervous, uh, who are afraid to sing, who are afraid to play their guitar in public, you're not alone. Um, even all of us, uh, if any professional musician says they never get nervous, then they yeah, are, they're lying to, to you. Like, no, no, one, no one ever gets not, like, not nervous. We, we certainly yeah. all go through those moments. I would almost want to demystify it, honestly, without nervousness. I, I don't think like, I even would want to, you know, like, be in front of a camera or perform for people because you want this clarity of this is that exciting. I better be nervous or at least excited for my performance, you know, like not nervous in a bad way. I think uh, absolutely ner nervous and exciting are like really, really close to each other. And when you can be aware of the nervousness and kind of mold it into excitement and take it from there, like magic happens. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And I, and I totally, um, I know that, experience of nervous excitement for me and pretty much it's just like nerves and excitement are just like any other experience you know there are you know i'm making uh, for those of you who can't see the video i'm making uh quotation signs with my fingers there are good things and bad like things, things and, bad and for things. me the bad things about being nervous um are sort of physical like i have a hard time uh, completely controlling my sort of my my abs um, they they feel tight and it's harder for me to breathe as effectively um, right. as I would under non-nervous conditions which is obviously where the like the belly breath opens up the diaphragm that allows yeah. that sound to really come through right totally but the good thing about being nervous or nervous excitement um, is that many of the greatest um, I would, you know, say my greatest musical performances have been when I was really excited. And I love what happens in my brain when I'm nervous because it very often um, drives me to produce something that I never could have in a rehearsal. There's something about that 
that live only right now, this moment will never be here ever again moment um, that happens between me and all of the other performers on stage and everyone sitting in the audience. Like it's a really magical feeling. And I think that some of my crowning achievements have been uh, because really honestly, because I was nervous. Awareness of a state like nervousness and therefore the awareness and the presence with the moment that's actually opening up the, the next five minutes of a performance or the next three minutes of a speech, right? Very, very exciting. I want to hear a little bit more Sorry, about why did you pick the trombone? Let me ask that. <laughs> what sure. is the, why is it the trombone that you love so much? Um, I started playing trombone when I was nine. Uh, before that, I was making some music. Um, like I said, there was always music in my house. Um, my dad would always play uh, different recordings all the time. He's a musicologist. Um, so his his specialties are uh, in, well, I mean, he knows everything, but uh, the stuff that he publishes uh, in music journals about are usually uh, related to Mozart opera and other composers who lived during that period and the Beatles. So those are his two big areas. So there were a lot, there was lots of classical music. There was lots of uh, Beatles music um, and world music, just all kinds of stuff in my house. And uh, I also, uh, to give everybody a little bit of a little bit more context, like when I was growing up, that was when minivans started to have TVs in them sometimes. Right. And of course, me and my two sisters begged our parents, like, "Oh, can you please, uh, you know, buy a minivan that has a, a TV in it so we can watch SpongeBob when we're driving to, you know, our grandpa's house for Christmas?" And they knew <laughs> that that was a terrible idea. And so instead, we sang rounds. Um, we would sing Row, Row, Row Your Boat or other songs like that um, as a family in the car. And I remember my older sister used to harmonize on the spot. She would just sing other, you know, complimentary notes to whatever melody somebody else was singing. And I, I remember thinking, you know, age five or six, like, oh, well, I can do that too. And so that's that was happening in my life. I remember I, I started playing the recorder in maybe third grade, but then trombone was the first thing that, uh, trombone like really stuck. Um, I remember hearing a performance by the local high school jazz band. They played a bunch of things in the concert, but what I remember was uh, a James Bond medley of just music from those movies. And I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. And I was a pretty tall kid. And I remember only seeing one trombone player on stage, even though there were maybe four or five trumpets and four or five saxophones. Um, and it just, for some reason, you know, the, the high school jazz band only having one trombone player made me think like, oh, well, there seems to be a need for trombone players. And even though I'm only in fourth <laughs> grade, that seems like a good move for me. Nice. I'm tall enough to, you know, reach seventh position on the slide. So I started playing in, um, my elementary school band and uh, I started taking trombone lessons uh, with Jim Fryer in New Haven, Connecticut, where I grew up. And it just sort of, it was a very natural fit. I think that like the, the sound of the trombone, I just liked it and I was good at it. And it was fun to move the slide around. It was fun to have a, a loud instrument. Um, and then the way, it, the, the reason that it 
I honestly continued with it, at least at the beginning was, um, it was the thing that I was good at. It was the thing that I was, uh, I was better at trombone than the other kids in my school. And I wasn't better at soccer or basketball mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, I think I did pretty well in school, but I wasn't, I didn't have the best grades, but I was the best trombone player. And I think so for, for many years, the thing that sort of kept me going was like, it fed my ego to be good at something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it was really only a little bit later when I was like 15 or 16, I went to my first, uh, music festival. And this is like, you know, summer orchestra camp. Um, and it was there that I made a lot of great friends, many, many of whom I'm still in touch with today. This was at the Brevard Music Center in North Carolina. Went to, you know, orchestra geek camp and we played an orchestra and, you know, over lunch we talked about like, oh, what's your favorite Beethoven symphony? And like, oh, who's, you know, whose recordings of the Bach cello suites do you like the most? And things like this. And I was really among, for the first time, uh, all people who were as nerdy as I was. And that's when I think I started to have like a, a an active conscious love of music. Um, and that's when it started to feel more like a purpose and less like a, this in is the, just something that I'm good at, so I'll do it. Yeah, in the music camp. So really when you heard all the voices really of, of like, passionate performers coming up is that really was that part of it the awareness how like even if you're excellent at trombone there still needs to be this harmony of all these other instruments or am i hearing that right it was the first time that i was immersed mm -hmm. in in music and immersed with a community of musicians um before that i guess you know it was something that i did for a certain number of hours per week but right. at music camp it's 24 hours a day and you're with people that understand you. So, you know, there were people in the, in the school band who, you know, we could bond over band class for a few hours every week. But the, the majority of other kids at my school didn't really understand why it was important to me. And just being, being in, in a place where all of your peers, everybody understands you. It was an incredible feeling. And I walked away from that thinking like, I want this all the time. Um, I want to be a professional musician and get to like, this is my favorite thing in life. And I just want to do this all the time. Wow. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that anecdote too. I think really, really curious. It makes me so curious to understand that about our human kind of um, psyche and evolution, because we all go through those phases where we want to find out what we're the best at or how good are we at something. And then that in motivates us to keep us going uh, or not right it does the opposite and throws us off and oh i wasn't the best so i can't keep going even though hey i might still enjoy it painting or singing or whatever it is that we, we were maybe once not the best at but it, it's great to see how how you you're explaining that your journey kind of you just kept really stuck with the trombone in the best way possible and i feel like this is really where where purpose shows up in in my listening here is i feel that that child in you knew about that role of, of the, of the music because now you're able to maybe articulate it and you're, you're sharing it back to your family and like the way love was part of your life, but the inner child that is pursuing something and, and says, you know what, this is it. I'm in this immersive feeling now. It, it like, it can't get better than this. It, it will just 
more and more of this get well it, it will get better than this in, in a different way but but not not in a comparative way anymore and i think mm-hmm. purpose really has a lot to do with not looking for the comparison of where you land with your expression but expressing because it's just so clearly the most immersive experience of reality you could have asked for maybe let me let me segue um away from the trombone or the orchestra but more into like what do you think a more creative world looks like do you think more people are able to find this kind of place of immersion or purpose or you know people people definitely know more about art than they would think um even even if people uh can't tell you that they prefer you know a a period forte piano performance over a modern piano or they uh, really prefer, you know, when when uh, A is tuned at 440 hertz as opposed to 443, or they really prefer music with more minor seventh chords. Right. I think that people know what they like, just like you know what kind of food you like. Even if you don't know that the reason you like certain food more than you like other food is that there's cumin in it and you don't like cumin, or there's not enough salt. Like I, right. I think that in our in our guts we know. And so one thing that is really interesting to me, especially living in the Bay Area where we're sort of on the forefront of all this new technology, AI on its way, there might be massive, there almost definitely will be massive changes to our economy for our world. And I think this whole idea that every single human must have a job might be changing because maybe we're not gonna need people to drive anybody around. Maybe that'll be done completely by machines. Um, you know, maybe manufacturing jobs are going to change. Maybe, you know, there's not going to be certain industries like coal anymore if we get completely reliant on wind or solar power, things like this. And so I remember actually hearing a, a talk about this when I was at Burning Man um, last summer. Somebody saying, maybe the world will will uh, start focusing less on making money and more on making love and making art. Um, and that sounds like a really nice world to me where instead of all, all people being expected to jump into this system of, well, everyone has a job and everybody has this purpose and, and that sort of forcing many, many, many people to feel, you know, uh, they, they must have this thing that they do from nine to five and they can only do what they love on the weekends and after five o'clock. I think that might be, that might be changing. I hope it changes and a world, maybe more people will become artists at that point. And maybe, maybe on top of that, um, people, people won't need to even, you know, more quotey signs here, become artists. Maybe yeah. there will just be more, room in the world for if you feel like drawing a picture maybe you just will because you don't have to be working on some task that you hate because maybe there's a computer that's doing that task for you and maybe your picture I think, doesn't need to be the only um, measure of aesthetic drawings right like maybe you it doesn't even need to be the best picture anymore totally totally that, that would be a, like a collective evolution maybe the other the other thing about this and this comes back to burning man which was a pretty um, life-changing event for me, life-changing experience, I, I should say. It's not, well, it's sort of, anyway, not worth getting into that. But one thing that I kind of took away from, from Burning Man is the idea of people contributing sort of however they like to and however they 
can do it best, but the idea of everybody contributing. And uh, I love the idea of making music for my community. Just like, you know, I, I think if, if I were uh, great at making bagels, I would make bagels for people. If I could knit sweaters, then I would make sweaters for people. Um, but what I what I have is I can play the trombone, I can write music, I can do that, and I hope to give it freely. So I I sort of for for more of a future utopian world where maybe people aren't working nine to five as much, maybe they'll be singing songs to each other and uh, giving dance lessons and making beautiful art everywhere. I don't know. I don't even really remember what, what your question important. was, but I'm Very I'm getting important. so excited about this. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's all do more of that right now, right here. That's that's totally. Sure. Uh, Nick, thank you for for taking the time to finding a different access to the topic of creativity and the topic of music and showing up on the spot here. Is there anything else you'd love to share? You'd love listeners to know. Um, There's just one one little story uh, that I sort of uh, spoke about a little bit earlier that kind of was a, a big moment in my life. Um, I was on vacation with a friend of mine, a trumpet player who plays now in uh, the Jacksonville Symphony. His name's Michael Harper, one of my dearest friends. We were going on a, a 10 day journey through a bunch of places in Europe. And one city that we stopped in was Cologne in Germany. And uh, in Cologne, there's a very famous cathedral, really beautiful place, the Kölner Dom. Um, and we were busking um, in front of it, just sort of uh, on trombone and trumpet, just playing some music. And we uh, put out a hat and some people threw change in it. Actually, uh, one person walking by, we, we were planning to just try to make a little bit of beer money, just oh. get a little bit more frukolsch in our lives. Actually, one person walking by just gave us a, like a six pack of beer. <laughs> saved us the trouble of converting our money into alcohol. But something really unexpected happened there. Um, uh, my friend Michael was taking a break and maybe he was starting in on one of those beers. And I played a movement of, of Bach by myself. And this was the, the Saraban movement from the fifth cello suite, which is a really um, dark, introspective, slow movement. It's really beautiful and it really, it's the kind of music that makes me contemplate very serious things. And after I played this Sarabande, um, a man came up to me and offered me a few coins. And we had seen this guy um, hanging around that area because there's tons of tourists there. And this was a, a guy experiencing homelessness who was sleeping on the street near the cathedral. And this is really one of the most uh, powerful gestures I've experienced in my life of somebody who had so little and was begging for, for money on the streets, who was so moved by this movement of, of Bach that he came to me and gave me money um, and wow. just said, you know, I'm, you know, a humble guy. I don't have very much, but I just wanted to tell you that this music that you played really spoke to me. And um, I just felt compelled to give you 
whatever I could. And that just sort of exemplified um, to me, just, you know, it's like, yes, music's so great. It's this amazing, fun thing, but this is something that can really, really impact people. Um, and as it did that day. That, yeah, I love how that absolutely ties kind of full circle into where you started, that music is a connector, both in our own maybe psyche, but also to other people, right? And the, the shared space of emotion and the shared space of how frequency kind of happens in our body. And thank you for sharing this anecdote. I was just in curling at the dome with you for, for a second there. It's curious to see that somebody who would have almost nothing young can use to give anyway. Um, maybe th there's, there's more of that in the, in, the, in, the, in the world in the future when we become more and more artistic and creative because that person clearly was inspired by you being just in the expression, right? Mm -hmm. So I definitely carry that one with me. Um, and we're starting to set up a lot of uh, performances for, for the homeless community in San Francisco. And I haven't been offered money um, since then um, by somebody uh, experiencing homelessness, mm -hmm. but I have watched um, when we, when we play for people, their, their faces change. And you can see when, when we play songs that they know, um, people are happy. It's really hard to be angry. It's hard to be greedy, I think, when you're listening to music that you, that you love. Um, it seems to me that uh, this art form that I love so much is really one of the only truly renewable resources uh, that we have. It feels good to just give it out to everybody and it feels good for other people to listen to it and make more of it and i'm not depleted i mean i get tired and i need right. food and drink after after i've played a lot of music but i'm ready to just keep doing it more and more every day so so where can people find those uh those homeless concerts you just mentioned um is there a website well we look up or anything yes um, I will be, uh, as they, as they come up, I'm about to schedule a bunch more in San Francisco. Um, they'll be announced on my website, which is platoffmusic.com. Um, yeah. And other things that I'm up to, I'll announce on there. Um, one other organization that I would point people to that I think is really doing what I would consider the Lord's work. Um, just truly, truly, uh, giving what they have to their community is an organization in Los Angeles called the Street Symphony, um, which uh, has just a huge, huge um, program for uh, playing in, uh, in the prison systems, uh, in the prison system and also for uh, the community in, in Skid Row. And they have, they've been on it for a couple, a couple years. They're, uh, they're, uh, artistic director Vijay Gupta is just doing incredible stuff. Um, yeah, definitely look them up. That is very much such a logical fit from where this conversation happened that we add music to kind of the places that I think need most connection, need, need most, mm -hmm. most human kind of change where we uh, include and integrate. I'm very curious to hear more about that. Uh, well, Nick, thanks for your time. Thanks for making the time. And thanks for sharing 
about yourself, about the projects you're up to and, and kind of the ways um, music keeps you inspired and keeps you alive and, and wanting to express more. Thanks for having me on the show. It was fun. I hope you too enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, diving deeper and displaying what makes planet Earth worth living on and who are the creators, what are the projects that create this resonance across the world. If you enjoy listening to the show, make sure to subscribe, maybe share it with a friend or simply shoot me an email with your thoughts and ideas. Also, make sure to check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com. I have a lot of new offerings and possibilities to work with me on there. For those of you who are looking for specifically mentorship or coaching at this point in your life, I'm currently open to take in new applications as well as I'm starting a group container, stepping into the journey of their becoming. If that's for you, simply have a look at greenplanet-blueplanet.com. Activating leadership is the tab. And wherever you are in the world right now, have yourself a stellar day.